0: I want to take the rest of the time that we have and and I just want to jump right into the Word of God. Is that all right? Can we do that? I, I'm just so blessed by how much of my sermon just got prayed through their through their prayers, And they don't even know what I'm going to preach about today. But I want you to go to Colossians chapter three with me for a few moments. We've made it to chapter three. It's been six weeks in the making, but we are there. Colossians chapter three, this is part six in our Colossians series, and and I just want you to know, I was thinking about the, the season and where we're at. You know, I've, I've got three daughters, obviously, that are going back on campus here, two in the high school, and one uh, going, she just started her sophomore year at college. And so this is the time of year where, you know, everybody needs new stuff, you know what I mean? You need new clothes. I know we just bought a backpack last year, but I don't know what happened to it in nine months, but we need another backpack I bought like 10 folders last year, but we need 10 new folders this year. You know how it goes, right, parents? We need new stuff. And, and I was thinking about that reality of where we're at in the, in the year. And, and even, even the calendar, you know, you set new routines. You know, we just, we're coming out of summer, and now it's time to start going to bed a little earlier, time to start getting up a little earlier, try to get back in the routine of all of that stuff. Why? Because summer's ending, and you've been called to another level, so it's time to level up. It's time to, you got to get ready. You know, my my fashion for middle school ain't going to cut it in high school. I need need some new shoes, mom. I need a new look. The teachers, you got to take off the Monday morning sweatpants. You got to get the khakis back on. Time to get the belt back out. Where did I put that belt? Hadn't looked at it in three months. You know what I'm talking about. (laughs) And in the same way that we need to put on some new things for the school year, that's actually what chapter three of Colossians is all about. Paul is saying, you know what, it's time to put some new things on. It's time to get ready. It's time for you to take some things off and time for you to put some things on. So let's jump right into Colossians chapter 3 for a few moments. He says in verse 1 and 2, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Verse 2, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things now let me me just say I I love this verse because I've heard something all my life from from people that are you know kind of uh cynical about church folk they would say you know you 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 Christians you just always have your head in the clouds you you know just singing your songs praying your prayers you you know what You, you guys are so heavenly minded you're no earthly good you ever heard somebody say that before you're so heavenly minded, you know earthly good. Can I tell you the Bible says the exact opposite of that? Yeah, that's good. The Bible says, set your heart on things above. Set your mind on things above. It's almost like the world thinks that like, we'd be better Christians if we thought about heaven less and earth more. But can I tell you that's not true? Yeah, that's My head is not in the clouds today because i speak faith because i walk by faith my head is above the clouds my head is up where christ is seated in heavenly places today that's paul's message he says hey aim higher don't aim lower aim higher that's what he says in philippians 3 he says one thing i do forgetting the things that are behind me and straining towards what is ahead i press on to reach the prize what it is it's the high calling of god in Christ Jesus, I'm straining ahead. I'm reaching higher. How about we just make a decision right now to make this year about the highest goal? Yeah. Because here's here's what I know to be true of me: I do the most good when I have the highest aim. Yeah. Like I'm not going to be a, I'm not going to be a, a less capable student because I'm focused more on Jesus. Yeah. I'm not going to be uh, less able to to lead a classroom because I'm more focused on honoring Christ. I do the most good when I have the highest aim. And so Paul is saying to the church, set your mind on things that are above. In other words, this school year is not about your GPA. It's not about job security. It's not about yearbook superlatives. It's about somebody having a scroll with your name on it. And I'm not talking about a high school diploma. I'm talking about the Lamb's Book of Life. And so Paul says, because that's true, because your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, you ought to live differently. Look at verse 3. He says, for you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When, when he said that, he, he was still talking about water baptism. Last weekend, he, we, we looked in chapter 2, he talked about being baptized in water. Every Christian ought to be baptized In water. If you haven't been baptized in water, you can do it here in six weeks. We're going to have a huge celebration. And so Paul's still thinking about that picture of you going under the water to represent you dying with your old life and being raised to life in Christ. And so he says explicitly here, you died. Like, let's get a right perspective on what really happened when you gave your life to Jesus. And he used the Greeks, when they talked about somebody that died physically, they said this they said they're hidden in the earth. That was the Greek phrase for somebody that physically dies. They're hidden in the earth. Paul says, you died, Christians, and you're hidden in Christ. So it's kind of like death, but not really. Your life is now hidden in Christ. And then look at the next verse. Verse 4, he says, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him. I just want to echo what you heard Joe say earlier. As you go back to your campus Go back as a campus missionary. Go back with your mind and your heart set on Christ. It's all for Jesus. It's all for Jesus. And in chapter 3, what what Paul does is he, he points this out. He points out that everything you do, every relationship you have at work, at school, at church, and then he even says at home. Every one of your relationships, they ought to be viewed through a heavenly lens with a spiritual motivation base. The way you handle all of those dynamics. And then he kind of, he crescendos the whole thing. Let's skip right to the end of the chapter. He crescendos the whole thing by saying this in verse 23 and 24. He says, whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you'll receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. So that that's the whole point of chapter three. Now I want to back up a little bit and, and I want to kind of run at it for a few moments. And I want you to understand all of what Paul is saying here in this chapter is predicated on the truth that we've been, expounding on for the last five weeks in this series. Paul spent much of chapter one and chapter two exalting Jesus Christ and clarifying just how incredible the work of salvation is. Back in chapter one, in verse 13 and 14, he declares, Jesus rescued you out of darkness. He redeemed us in verse 22 he says he reconciled us by christ's physical death in his body to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation then in chapter 2 verse 13 and 14 he says he removed our sins he canceled the charges against us by nailing them to the cross so all this book he's been saying that's who jesus is That's what Jesus does. And now he gets to chapter 3, and here's the question. In light of who Jesus is and in light of what he has done, who should you be? And how should you live? And so in verse 5 of chapter 3, he says very strongly and very clearly, verse 5, Put to death, therefore. That therefore is death. The last five weeks of this series, (laughs) in light of all that, put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. And look at verse 7. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. So, so Paul, in no unclear terms, says, put to death. I mean, it's almost like when Jesus said, if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. Yes. You're like, Whoa, what? Yeah, it'd be better for you to go into heaven blind than to be separated from God for eternity. So he, he was kind of using hyperbole to make a strong point. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Now, Jesus doesn't really want you to cut your hand off, but he's saying it's that important. And Paul's saying the same thing. Put to death anything, anything. That's who you used to be. But Paul is talking to Christians. He's talking to us as much as he's talking to the people in the Lycus Valley. And he says, you don't live that way anymore. Put it to death. William Barclay, in his commentary on the book of Colossians, says this. The New Testament never hesitates to demand with a certain violence the complete elimination of everything which is against God. Here's what I love about the Apostle Paul. No matter how far he travels down these theological pathways, and he says some pretty lofty stuff. I mean, even Peter in one of his letters writes and says what Paul writes is hard to understand. So like Paul, he, he, he does some theological gymnastics sometimes, but no matter how far he goes he always ends his letter with some practical, uncompromising, crystal clear statement about the ethical demands of Christianity on his audience. Like, make no mistake about it. Like, I can riff all day about what Jesus did and what happened in the heavenly realm and where you're at in Christ. But by the way, make sure you stop doing that. Cut that out. Don't live like that. That's not who you are. That's not the way we roll. Like, he's very practical. Look at verse 8. He says, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. You go, does that matter? Yeah, that matters. Why? Because of what Christ did for you. Because you died. And now Jesus lives inside of you. You're the temple and the presence of Jesus in the earth. So yeah, all these things, they matter. Look a little farther. He says in verse nine, do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge and in the image of its creator. Listen, he he said, you do this. You take some things off And you put some things on. He spent plenty of time talking about what Jesus did, but now he's saying you have a responsibility. I have a responsibility. And here's the thing. When you start taking some things off and putting some things on, it's not like all of a sudden you're a perfect Christian. In fact, spoiler alert, you'll never be a perfect Christian. That doesn't exist. There's only a perfect Christ. And the rest of us that are striving for Christ-likeness. But Paul says this new self... Look at that verse again at the end of verse 10. He says, that new self is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Man, knowledge is powerful, isn't it? I was thinking about that this week. Like, what's the difference between like two squirrely little sixth graders? You know, uh, I mean, 20 years from now, what's the difference in those two squirrely little sixth graders? You know, because the big difference is knowledge. And the application of it. You know, some people they, they, they stop renewing their minds in middle school and they just kind of coast through. Some some people just stop renewing their minds in high school. Just, just let me get through this and not trying to be anything, not trying to do more, not trying to learn more. I just want to get through. Some people go four more years after that, or they go into a trade, or or they learn a craft, they learn a skill, or, or they go into the military. Some people go for eight more years. And then you run into that squirrely sixth grader 20 years later. And they walk into the room and they're wearing a long white lab coat carrying a clipboard and it costs you $100 to talk to them for 20 minutes? (laughs) You're like, I remember her in middle school. Why is this costing me so much? Because she's been renewed in knowledge. Paul says that's the way it works. I've seen a lot of people that not only academically they stop renewing themselves, but it happens relationally. I've known a lot of highly educated stupid people. How about you? Some of those people that just ain't got no social sense. I'm going. What's wrong with you? How did you pass? How did how did you graduate high school and you're still that dumb? Am I the only one? Y'all thought, okay? I guess y'all are oversaved. I'm. I'm just telling you how I feel. But, you know, it happens relationally, too. I've seen some young adults. They don't have a clue what a healthy relationship is supposed to look like, probably because they started dating when they were 12. And then when they were 15, they acted like they were married. Now they're 22, and they don't have a clue what a healthy relationship is supposed to look like. We have to be renewed in our knowledge. And Paul says that's the way it happens spiritually. The the way we see it intellectually and socially and relationally, Paul says this is what happens spiritually. You remember Paul's prayer in verse 10 of the first chapter. We we prayed this for the church. He said, I'm praying for you in verse 10 of chapter 1, so that you may live a life that is worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. Paul said, here's what I'm praying for the church, that you would grow in the knowledge of God. Look at verse 11. He says, here, and the here, by the way, is in Christ. He's not saying here in Colossae or here in in Rome, in my prison cell. He's saying here, for, for us that are in Christ, here there is no Jew or Gentile. In other words, he's saying the barrier of nationality has been broken down. Here, there is no circumcised or uncircumcised. In other words, he's saying the barrier of rituals and religion, that's been broken down. He says there there is no barbarian or Scythian. In other words, he's saying the culture barrier, that's been broken down. In Christ, the culture barrier has been broken down. He says here, there's no slave or free. In other words, the the social classes, the, the economic classes, that's broken down. Here, in Christ, but Christ is all and is in all here's the good news of the gospel here's what he means when he says Christ is all and Christ is in all Paul is saying look if you're uneducated if you're poor if you're a foreigner if you're completely unchurched it doesn't matter once you come to Christ because Christ is all and he's in all But the implication of that statement is also that not only do you have every opportunity and access in Christ, you also have every responsibility. No excuse based on your nationality, based on your education, based on your income, based on your social class. Christ is all in all. No excuses. Hand me that jacket. I I, I wanted to borrow a jacket to illustrate this today. This This is Brock Bolton's jacket. I didn't go to Eastern York but I'm Eastern Proud now, Eastern Proud Dad. How many of you know when you see a jacket like this, that says something about a guy? I feel better already. I mean, you, you see a guy walk down the hallway with this jacket on, you think a few things. You see that big letter? Now, that means something right there. I lettered. That's right. I was on the team, varsity. Look at that pin. It Says captain. Captain, boss, right there. Played wide receiver on the football team, right there. Wide receiver. Look, got my weight classes over here. One forty-five, and I went went up to one fifty-two. Man, that boy put on some muscle in high school. <laughs> I went up to one sixty. I went up to one seventy. And, and it, You know who I represent when I walk past you? So when I put on this jacket, it says something about me. What Paul is saying, in Colossians 3, is there's some things you need to put on. Because what you put on and what you take off, they say something about who you are. Look at verse 12. Paul says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves. What do we wear? Compassion. Kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. These are the the patches. These are the stitching. These are the pins that we wear. These are the things when people look at, they go, oh, Oh, you're one of them. Okay. Oh, you're on that team. How, How do I know that? Because of my Jesus fish bumper sticker? No. Not if I'm flipping you the bird driving by you on the highway. Some of y'all need to take them stickers off your car. You're making it hard for the rest of us to reach the lost. No, we, we, we clothe ourselves. We don't clothe our, our, our outward selves or our cars or our, our Facebook profile. We clothe ourselves. He says, verse 13, Bear with each other, forgive one another, and if anyone has any grievance against someone... Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these, he says, over all these virtues, put on love. It's like Paul is saying, love is the jacket. Yeah. Like if I just got this pin that says captain, you know, I don't know, you might think I have a fishing club or something. Captain, what is it? No, no, no. In the context, this letter means something. In the context, in love, my humility points people to Jesus. In love, my compassion points people to my Savior. Love is the jacket. He says it binds all these things together in perfect unity. And then Paul, Paul goes on, and we're out of time, but, but Paul goes on to, to say this is what that looks like in the church. In verse 15 and 16, he's talking about when we come together to worship, the church ought to feel different than Walmart. It's it's not just about being in a crowd. Come on. I've been to some secular concerts. They felt different than when we worship. Why? He says in verse 15, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. He's talking about when we come together. Let it dwell among you richly. As you teach and admonish one another with wisdom, with psalms, hymns, songs in the spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And then he says in verse 17, and whatever you do. In other words, he's saying when you come together and when you go apart. Like when you come together, when you go apart, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So, so Paul has made it really clear that Christ is all. And and then now he's making it clear, Christ is in all. So there's no big I and little you, like when we come together, let's let Christ be magnified in us. We're all called to these Christian virtues. And so then Paul gets really practical and he goes from the church house to your house. He brings the message right to your kitchen table in the next part of Colossians 3 and he starts talking about the dynamics of relationships in the home. He's saying this is what it looks like for Christ to be all in all. And he talks about wives with husbands and husbands with wives. He talks about parents with children and children with parents. Then he talks about servants with their masters and masters with their servants. And the point of all of it is to say, God doesn't show favoritism. Like just because you're The man of the house doesn't mean you get to be a jerk. That's kind of what he's, that's my translation, but you get it. He's saying, like, just because you're the master and they're the servant, don't forget you have a master too. Jesus is going to judge you for the works that you do. This is what it looks like for Christ to be all and to be in all. So what he says is, clothe yourselves with Christ. Man, I'm getting hot in this jacket. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. And we're going to pray together. And and the reason that we're going to pray specifically in this moment is I I think this is a great response to this kind of a message. It says at the beginning of chapter 4, verse 2, Paul says this to Christians. Devote yourselves to prayer being watchful and thankful and then he says this and pray for us too that God may be may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should now this is the apostle Paul if he said I need prayer who of any of us could say I don't need prayer I mean, he said, please pray for me. Like, I mean, he just went through this laundry list of of things that we need to strive for in our walk with Christ. And he basically says, I'm not perfect either. I need prayer. So we're going to end with prayer today. And I'm going to ask everyone if you'd stand with me one more time just to honor the presence of the Lord. We're going to pray today. And, And let me just say. I don't know how this message lands with you, but I just want to kind of call out the elephant in the room and say, I know a message like this is, is way harder to process than the last five messages. It's easy to get together and talk about all the things that Christ has done. But when we start talking about the burden of responsibility, when we start talking about Christian ethics, when we start talking about living different, when we talk about getting up every day and taking, taking off All the cynicism that you fell asleep watching on the news last night, to and taking off all the hostility and the anger and the lying and the gossip that you heard in the break room, and putting on humility and compassion and grace and kindness, and pinning it all onto the love of Christ and walking out the door every day with that. That's hard, that's a challenge. understand today that all of that is not about leaving today with a mentality that i'm well gosh pastor kind of put it to me today i gotta try harder there's a reason that paul writes the way he does he spends all that time talking about what christ has done in us and what i need to make sure you don't confuse is that there's nothing that we can do. All the list of things that he says abstain from, all the vices that we can remove, or all the virtues that we could add, none of that thing could robe you in salvation. The Bible says this in Isaiah 61.10. It says, I delight in, greatly in the Lord, and my soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with a garment of salvation and arrayed me in righteousness. What that means is when you surrender everything to Jesus, he puts the garment of salvation on you. And he's not accepting you or loving you based on how many letters you've got on your jacket, how many pins, how many merits. He doesn't operate that way. If you're saved, you're saved. If you're robed, you're robed in his righteousness, not your righteousness. So today we're gonna we're gonna close in prayer in a minute, but I I just wanted to pause now and I needed to say that. If there's someone here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, do not leave this church thinking, well, I gotta be more humble, I gotta be more kind, I gotta be more gracious, then maybe I'll fit in. No. You need to receive the finished work of redemption. Paul says he redeemed you. He reconciled you. He restored you. He took your sins. He nailed them to the cross. He canceled your debt over and over. All the things that Jesus did, he did for you. He did for you. And he paid the price to robe you in righteousness. So would you bow your head with me all over this room? If there's anyone here today that you say, I just need the righteousness of Christ in my life. I need to be robed in his love. I need to be forgiven of my sin. I need my debts canceled. I need to have a garment of salvation in my life. I want to pray for you if that's you. Father, right now, would you let the grace of Jesus envelop the hearts of men and women and students in this room. God, let us know that we are loved, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, that you have a plan to prosper them and not to harm them, a plan to give them a hope and a future, and all of it is centered in a loving relationship with Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And God, if there's any sin in our life that we have not repented of, that we have not asked your forgiveness of God in this moment, we turn from sin. We repent in Jesus' name, and we receive your grace and your forgiveness. Thank you, Lord, that right now your word declares if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. Right now, not only is our name in heaven but your word says spiritually we are seated with christ in heavenly places thank you god for your finished work and now lord i want to pray for the church that we would respond appropriately to the great work that you have done that lord we would take some things off some of the attitudes and the actions that we've just allowed to become a part of who we are. God, we take it off right now in Jesus' name. We repent. We repent today of those things that Paul called out explicitly, the the, the sexual immorality, the impurity, the lust, the evil desires, the greed, the anger, the rage, the, the lying lips. But Lord, we repent of those things that he didn't call out, those things that your Holy Spirit is calling out in us. We take them off in Jesus' name. And we put on your virtues right now. We put on Christ. We set our hearts. We set our minds. We put to death the sinful nature. We rid ourselves of evil. We put on the new self. We clothe ourselves in righteousness. We forgive, Lord. We put on love. God, today. We can't do it without the help of your Holy Spirit. So I pray, Lord, as we prayed early in this service, that you would empower your church. Empower us, Lord, to represent you well. When people see us coming, they know. They know who we are and who we represent. And our lives testify to all you've done. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. 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 As we as we get ready to end this service, um, I, want, I want to commission you. And, and I was reading Colossians chapter 4, and I think verse 5 and 6 is an incredible commission. You can look it up later. We'll put it on the screen here, but maybe you want to highlight this. Maybe you want this to become something you pray as you get ready to move into this fall, into this school year. This is, a, this is a commission to the church from the Apostle Paul. Let's let it be ours. As we put on Christ, he says this be wise in the way that you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace and seasoned with salt so that you may know how to answer everyone. May that be true of all of us, church, in Jesus' name. Come on, if you love the Lord, would you give him praise with me one more time? Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in our hearts and in our lives. We love you, Lord. As we dismiss this.